0: Hard to believe that Christmas is two weeks away. For those of you who are not done shopping like me, it's getting down to the wire on those online orders, I encourage you to do that. The broader culture skips over this season of Advent altogether. We head right to Christmas. And if you're wondering how Advent is different from Christmas, because maybe you grew up in a tradition that didn't follow any of the church calendar at all, well let me explain. Simply, Christmas is the time that we celebrate the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us. This is the time of great joy as light burst into the darkness, right? And John 1 talks about that, that in him was life and that life was the light of men. But Advent, Advent is a time where we kind of remember what it was like before Christ came that 400 years of silence that we mentioned last week, that, that sitting in the darkness that we, that we feel. It's a time for us to remember the longing that God would just break through and do something about the brokenness around us. Advent isn't really a time of Christmas cheer so much as it is a time where we look at all the ways we need a Deliverer to come. But in the middle of Advent, in the middle of these stories in the Bible, we see, we see flashes of light break through before the light of Christ comes. And we, and we look at these flashes of light together, but we also feel the darkness all around us. Just this week in the news, or just this past month in the news, we saw continued fighting in Ukraine. We saw a shooting at a nightclub that took the lives of people made in God's image. We saw a power grid sabotage. There's a missionary pilot being held hostage in Mozambique. And this doesn't even touch the stuff that we're experiencing personally. Whether health troubles, family troubles, loneliness, depression, difficulty at school, friends issues, the drama that the holidays seem to bring forward with our family, But this morning, we're going to look at what it means to worship in the waiting. And we're going to see that because of the hope we have in Christ, we can worship as we wait. That because of the hope we have in Jesus, we can worship with our lives as we wait for his second coming. Because worship is a response to hope. So as we step back into Luke's gospel this morning for our second week here, let's remind ourselves of what kind of literature that we're reading. What we're reading in the gospels are spiritual biographies. If you remember the definition we heard last week, this was um, from Jonathan Pennington, it says the gospels are theological, historical, and virtue-forming biographical narratives. So they tell us about God. They're, they really happened in history, and they have a way to shape us as they explain the significance of who Jesus is, the restorer of God's reign. So open your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse 39, and we'll carry through to the end in verse 56. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant." Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and she returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. So we have three points as we work through our text this morning. The first is we can worship because we have hope in who God is. Hope in who God is. If you didn't notice, Luke spends an awful lot of time talking about Mary. In fact, he spends more than any other gospel writer. And a fun fact for you, um, while also being known as a physician, Luke was widely understood to be a painter, like an actual painter. Many people in church history, this was kind of new to me as I studied um, for this series, many people in church history considered Luke to be the first person to paint the Virgin Mary. In fact, this painting on the left here is attributed to Luke and then um, that and they, they've dated it to around 600. And there's all kind of like fun, weird medieval stories about like a plague and sickness and this painting being held up all around and like people staring at it for healing and such. But Luke has a particular emphasis on virgin married. And this belief carried through all the way to the 1600s, which if you look on the right is a painting of Luke painting the picture on the left, which is kind of fascinating. And so Luke is actually known as the patron saint of painters, which if you have a, need a patron saint and you paint, maybe Luke can be yours. I don't know. You might be thinking, well, this is fascinating, Don, but why do we need an art history lesson? Two weeks in a row of paintings, I'm sorry. For two reasons. The the idea of Luke as a painter also arose because Luke was considered a painter with his words. See, other gospels just kind kind of say, like, Jesus did this to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet and then tells what he did. Well, Luke doesn't do that. He actually like bakes in like layers, like a good painter puts in layers and layers of paint to form an image. That's what Luke does it all throughout his narrative. And the second reason is because Protestants have Mary issues. We have a problem with Mary. We don't talk about her at all. And it's because we're afraid to be Catholic. <laughs> right? In because our Catholic brothers and sisters and friends, like they seem to talk about Mary a lot. Every second they get a chance to, in to the point that sometimes for us Protestants, it feels like Mary worship, and that makes us really, really uncomfortable. And it should. But in our Protestant tradition, like I said, we don't really talk about her at all. Because we don't want to slide into Catholicism. But what we need to do is we, I think we need to recover maybe a more balanced approach to the person of Mary because she demonstrates worship in the waiting better than any other person that I can find in Holy Scripture. In fact, scholars kind of think that she is kind of like a believer prototype for us because she demonstrates such a robust faith in what God says and orders her life accordingly. Last week, we found out that her life was gonna be turned completely around and upside down and flipped. She's a virgin and an angel greets her and says, greetings, you're gonna have a child and you're gonna conceive him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ended with Mary's display of faith in verse 38. She said, see, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. <laughs> Strong faith. And so Mary now sets out for Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth is in the backwoods of the world. Elizabeth is in her second, end of her second trimester, early third trimester. She's very pregnant at this point. Um, she's at the point where she's starting to feel like a planet, right? In her pregnancy. She's, and she's very excited to see her relative come and when mary walks in the door that baby inside of her moves around it moves into life and we see a little bit of who god is through this whole interaction and we see that first that god is a god who reveals look at verse 41 when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. This isn't the first time we've seen the Holy Spirit at work. We saw him earlier in chapter one. We see him come up with Zechariah. We see him come up saying that John will be full of the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit being the one that, um, by whom Mary conceives of Jesus. And we see the Holy Spirit working again. And we see the, that coupled with the Spirit's filling and the baby's moving, Elizabeth understands who she is greeting, that she is greeting the mother of her Lord. The Holy Spirit's filling, enabled Mary to see who God is and what he was doing. He is a God who reveals himself. To others, and he does so by the Spirit. Our God is a God who isn't hidden, but a God who is active in the world and pulls his people into what he is doing. And he fully reveals himself in Christ. And the passage goes on, and Elizabeth is so thrilled about the goodness of God to let her in on this plan. And friends, like, like God let Elizabeth in on his plan, he has let us in on his plan. Because the second thing that we see is that God is a God who reveals and that he is a God who is good. That he is a God who is good to reveal his plan to us. The psalmist writes in, in the Psalms, he says, you are good and you do what is good. Elizabeth knows this God's goodness. She sees the hope that she has in Christ, and she declares it. God has taken away her shame by giving her a child. And even though she's an old age and very pregnant, and even though her relative is having a child in young age. Elizabeth isn't jealous at all. She is just thrilled that God has let her in on his plan. And she worships. Third thing we see is that that God is great in Savior. Elizabeth blesses Mary twice. She says, blessed are you. And And then Mary responds to all of this blessing, to all that Elizabeth has said, Mary responds, not with simple words, but with a song. Song is known as the Magnificat. And Mary declares praise, saying that God is both great and that he is her savior. She says, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. It's a song of praise for all that God has done. And if you know your Bible at all, this song sounds a little bit like Hannah's song in Samuel, making it likely that as Mary, so at some point in this six months, that in, this, in some point in her journey to, to see Elizabeth, that she was meditating on Hannah's song about Samuel. Mary knew her Bible. And she believed in what God said, and she declares that God is great. He is great. He is. He is reveals Himself. He is good to us to reveal His plan to us, and that He He is great. He is. He is large. He is vast, and He invites us into a story. And not just that, that He saves us. He is greater than you and me. He is greater than his, our circumstances. Mary's circumstances were not. Awesome, necessarily, right? She had all sorts of questions. How is this going to work? And I'm sure this broader society had all sorts of questions too. And we can read in other gospels that Joseph had all sorts of questions at one point as well. It's a confusing situation, but Mary Mary is just rejoicing that she is blessed and she blesses the God who saves her. We can have hope in who God is and that hope should lead us to worship, even in the waiting. For the promise to be fulfilled. That's what Mary does. That's what Elizabeth does. They wait in the promise. The second reason we can have hope. in, We can worship in the waiting. Is because we have hope in what God has done for you. Hope in what God has done for you. Mary's song. Goes from being one of praising God. For who he is. My great God and savior. To being one where she praises him for what he has specifically done for her in her life. She says that he looked on her with favor in spite of her humble condition. Let's not forget in all of this talk about Mary's faith that she is from the sticks. She is not from the epicenter of culture or from society. She's not from Rome where everything was happening. She's not from Corinth, powerful port cities. She's from the backwoods. She's probably not educated that much. She's also a woman in a time where women were less than. And Mary declares that God saw her condition, that God sees who she is, and that he lavished favor Upon her. (coughs) Mary knows her unworthiness, and that though the epicenter of the world, of society, existed far away in Rome, the very center of the cosmos, the one whom all things exist for, resided in her belly. And Mary is grateful. And she prophesies a little bit. And she says, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Kind of funny that here we are, 2,000 and some odd years later, talking about Mary being blessed. Mary worships in her waiting because of what God has done for her. And she is aware of her condition. She's aware that she wasn't deserving, that she is the most unlikely to be chosen for this plan, but God has done it. And she reveres his name as holy. Elizabeth does the same thing back in verse 43. And I, I love Elizabeth in the story because Elizabeth is just like blown away. She says, she said, how could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Do you remember that show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition? It's like kind of fun. It made you feel good when you watched it and got to see like cool home renos. And remember there was often someone who was often down on their luck or, or met with hard times, whether that was from sickness or job loss or whatever. And, and they get sent away to like go to Disney with their family while while they renovate their, their house. And you, renovation is probably like, like, I don't know, the biggest understatement in the world because usually it was like complete metamorphosis of their house. And then they like fly them back and they park the big truck in front of it and they pull them away. And everyone yells like, move that truck, I think it was. And then like the people like jaw drops to the floor, hand over mouth. Oh my gosh, can you believe this? This is, this is Elizabeth in this story. She, her jaws she's like, I just can't believe the mother of my Lord would come to me. She is just beside herself. Because she knows what God has done for her. She's aware that God is good. She's aware of who he is. And she is aware that she doesn't deserve it. But it's all because of God's kindness, generosity, and goodness. Have you taken a moment in your own life to recount the goodness of God. Have you stopped for long enough to point out the particular ways he has blessed you? Have you thought about what he's done for you in Christ? That when you were in your sin and wandering and not giving a rip about him, he brought you near and saved you. And have you considered the fact that maybe your posture before him And whatever we're waiting for and whatever we're going through should be one of humility and of being brought low before his greatness. Mary and Elizabeth give us models to emulate as we walk through the Christian life. Many of us can grow dull, tired of weary in our our walks with faith. We can forget God. Our worship can become dried up feel distant and just blah and we lose our hope and our focus but what Mary and Elizabeth do is they recount all the ways that God has shown up for them one commentator said that we grow confidence in God by knowing what he's already done and trusting what he will do Mary and Elizabeth they know what God has already done because they, they actually talk about it here. And in that hope for what he's done and what he will do, it leads them to praise. So here's what some of us need to do this week. And don't let this slip by. You need to find a quiet spot. You need to grab a journal, a pen, a piece of paper, whatever, um, back of a magazine, whatever you have, And you need to make a quick list. And this isn't like write down the things you're thankful for. I know we've encouraged you to do that. You can do that too. You should. But you don't have to be crazy detailed, but write the ways that God has shown up for you in your life. Like think back through the circumstances of your life. Like, oh my gosh, like if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't be where I am now. Think of how he saved you and the circumstances that brought you to that. Think of the relationships that maybe he was reconciled. The people he has brought, maybe that he brought into your life at just the right time. Feel free to be as detailed as you can or be as simple as you can. Feel free to write down like the trials that you've brought through. Maybe it was maybe it was walking through school with the learning disability, or maybe it was a period of of poverty, or maybe it was loneliness that you have felt and experienced. But then the Lord, like you moved and you got friends. I don't know. Like like think back through your life. Maybe it was the the girl that because you broke up with them, like you met the person you were to marry. I don't know. But to, to look, try to see the hand of God over your life. And notice what he's done for you. The job loss that led to a better job or that led to just a greater awareness of who God is. And most of all, write down where you'd be without Christ and and what he has done for you. And let that give you confidence, friends, that God's not done working. Let that give you confidence in what God is going to do in the future. And whatever you're waiting for, and whatever your hope feels dried up, let that help you worship. Because here's another truth that someone pointed out to me, is that it's those that acknowledge God that seem to experience more of him, right? It's those people that actually look for God that seem to experience more and more of God in their present life. And if you're not spending the time to behold who God is and worship in your waiting, if you're not acknowledging what he's done for you in the past, you might miss what he is doing in your present. So pay attention. Open your eyes. Ask God to show you what he is doing. And let that bring you confidence as you worship. Which brings us to our final point. We can worship because of hope in what he's doing in the world. Mary's song takes a shift from who God is to what he's done for her. Then she highlights several key things. First, she highlights the mercy of God. She says that his, and this is in 50, his mercy is from generation to generation. Generation friends what god is doing in the world through christ is he's extending his mercy from one generation to the next there's no place where it cannot reach no people group that's too far from him no sin done that's too that's greater than his love or his mercy it just keeps going no people outside the scope of his Love and his care. God is merciful and that mercy will keep rolling from generation to generation. And in the silence of 400 years, God's mercy still hadn't stopped. And after highlighting his mercy, Mary then shows that God is also turning the world upside down and flipping the script. Look at these verses. This is verse 50. He gives mercy for those who fear him. 51, he scatters the proud. 52, he topples the mighty and exalts the lowly. 53, he satisfies the hungry and sends the rich away empty. There's a lot there. That that God, in what he's doing in the world... That that through breaking into the world through Jesus, what he is doing is he is flipping the script upside down. All the values that our culture thinks is important, God turns on its head. Right? Is that first thing we see is that that as followers of Jesus we might feel looked down upon in broader society. We might feel like outcasts. This can make walking in earth hard sometimes, but we see that God's mercy is for those who fear him. Second thing we see is that God scatters the proud, that, that a culture that values making a name for yourself or rising to the top, that, that elects leaders with hubris and, and arrogance, that, that God actually scatters. The proud, that, that what he is going to do is he's going to scatter all the people because of the thoughts of their hearts. All the people that think they can do it without him, those are the people that God is going to scatter. He scatters the proud because of the thoughts in our hearts. Then it says he, he topples the mighty and exalts the lowly. A study from a few years ago said that 86% of young adults desire to be a social media influencer. Whole category of people that influence. Which is just crazy that we even have it. And I'm not Gen Z. So it, and as a millennial, it still baffles me that that is a thing. But before we get too hard on Gen Z, let's think about some of the things we are pushed to pursue, to be bold, which isn't necessarily bad, to, to make a name for ourselves, to get as many degrees as we can, to, to hoard material wealth and blessings as the, as the ends and of themselves instead of the means to other ends. But in the kingdom of God, it's the lowly, it's the outcast that are exalted. And we see this in 1 Corinthians. It says that God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. That this is what God is up to in the world through Christ. And we see next that Mary says that he satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. We might read that and think, well, that means spiritual satisfaction, right? That God satisfies our spiritual need for a Savior. And he does. That's certainly part of it. But I think this also has very real tangible realities because Jesus comes and he satisfies our deepest spiritual need. But, but there, there is a day coming, friends, when like people's real physical hunger will be satisfied. We, don't, we might not experience that here in our comfortable corner of America, but that all around the world, there are hungry people looking for a day when Christ will do away with their hunger, real hunger. And if we look forward to the church and like, here's the thing in your Bible, Luke wrote, Luke in Acts. And what we do is when we look at the church, we get to Acts chapter two and the church living out what they see in the gospel of Luke in Acts. And what do they do? They sell things, distribute proceeds to other people so that there was no one who had need. So in the kingdom of God, People's real hunger is satisfied because we actually look out for the needs of others. We see the values of the kingdom here are different than the values of the of the world. God is flipping the script. God cares about truth. God cares about injustice. And he cares about writing injustices wherever they were found. And this kingdom, friends, is a kingdom that you and me are invited to participate in. That's why they did it in the book of Acts. Because they saw themselves as participating in the life of God and in putting things back right again. We can have hope because of who God is. We can have hope because of what he has done for you. We can worship in our waiting because of the hope of what he's doing in the world, that he's setting things right again. And Mary closes her song acknowledging that God is doing all of this because he's remembering the promise he made all the way back in Genesis to a man named Abraham. And she is saying that because he's done these things, he will do these other things. So as we wait in a broken world, full of sickness, full of trauma, full of tragedy, we worship because we have hope of what God is doing. Mary sings this song. And one of the interesting things is she sings it in the presence of another. She isn't just by herself in her, in her prayer closet, like expressing praise to God, but she actually gives voice to what God is doing to another person, Elizabeth. And, brothers and sisters, Mary's song is our song, too. One preacher friend of mine says that, that we will get up to a place in our lives when we will be able to say with Mary that my soul magnifies the Lord, and my God rejoice and I rejoice in my Savior. And, friends, we're supposed to tell this song to other people. It's not meant to just stay with us. We know what God is up to in the world. And we know as we wait in the brokenness that he is flipping the script, that he is inviting people to himself, that he is fulfilling his promises. And while we wait, we worship.